Have you ever needed a supportive community in your journey to advance racial equity, stop and prevent oppression, and catalyze change in your life or your organization? Join us in our online community at intentionallyact.com. As James Baldwin wrote, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. Join us online to confront the challenging questions and situations in your journey to advance racial equity as we build community to offer professional, personal, and organizational development, skills, and knowledge. Hello, everyone. This is Dr. Atia Martin. Welcome to Intentionally Act Now, a podcast that supports the All Aces mission to activate consciousness, catalyze critical thinking, and transform capabilities that advance racial equity and build resilience within ourselves and our organizations. We feature a wide variety of leading experts in diversity, equity, and inclusion, conflict management, critical race theory, personal growth, and more. Hi, this is your host, Enrico Imanalo. We invited the CEO of Solia, Waidehi Gokle, to Intentionally Act Live, formerly called All Aces On Air, to talk about what it is that Solia does and why these skills gained from engaging in dialogue are so deeply important to equip our young people with. Long before the pandemic, Solia was using video conferencing to connect young people from around the globe to better figure out how to really lean into difference something that we all must necessarily navigate in the course of life. We talk about the inner work that goes into dialogue, the role of fear in online interactions, and how technology can be used to facilitate real human connection. Come continue the conversation on IntentionallyAct.com. This is Enrico Imanalo here with a very special guest today, uh, Wadehi Gokle, the CEO of Solia. Uh, Solia is a virtual exchange that has a number of programs, and in full transparency, I am actually an alumnus of their facilitation program, uh, and it's been a very important part of uh, building the skills that I need to uh, to be a conflict practitioner. Um, it's uh, there is also the Connect program, which brings together people from different parts of the world. Um, in order to have dialogues, and that's what the facilitators do for Solia. Uh, to give you a sense of what exactly we mean by a virtual exchange, uh, we've got a, uh, a an image here of the technology in action. So I don't know if we can see that quickly before we uh, introduce our guest further. As that's happening, uh, we'll transition to you, uh, Wadehi. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you, Rika. Thank you to you and all ACES for having us on here. Um, I'm really excited to chat about the work that we do um, at Salia. As you mentioned, um, we uh, what we call it's it's called virtual exchange, um, which has now become kind of a pretty buoyant and vibrant field of its own. Um, and essentially, what it means is you use some form of technology. Uh, we happen to use our own, which you just saw flashed up there, um, uh, called the Exchange Portal. And so the idea is to create the the, the notion of sitting around in a circle, uh, having an intimate, you know, but uh, safe dialogue space. Um, and so uh, the dialogue happens in small groups of about eight to twelve. Um, and as you mentioned, it's global. Um, most of our dialogue programming is global um, and the folks who are kind of in there to help ensure the security and efficiency of the dialogue process are the facilitators, uh, which you also mentioned, um, whom we also train. It's really important for people to understand that uh, using this technology is not something that emerged in response to the pandemic that we're still in, but actually has been part of the process from the from the beginning. Is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely. So um, the founder of Solia was sort of, um, I mean, you have to kind of use the term visionary, really, um, you know, in an era before social media, before video conferencing, before Skype, um, he was convinced that there was the potential for technology to be a really powerful vehicle to bring people together. Um, in, in a, you know, quite a deliberate way, um, not in the way that social media ended up doing it. Um, and so um, 
so yeah, so that's, so we've been using video conferencing technology for 17 years. So the, the moment of the pandemic for us was interesting because um, in many ways it was keep that, you know, that phrase, keep calm and carry on being Solia. You know, we were just able to, to keep going with all our work. I have to say, like, I really found my time with Solia invaluable, especially that technology piece, because when our team on you know, all aces decided to go completely remote. I was already prepared to do that. Right. And, you know, not to toot the horn too much, but the, the facilitation program is really, really robust. Like it's kind of unbelievable how well developed the, the materials are to train people. And uh, if I'm being again, quite honest, uh, I've taken a lot of those lessons and applied them directly to our work. So thank you to, so, to Solia for that one. Thank um, you, and so you're now the CEO of Solia, but uh, you didn't start out there. So how did you how did you get involved? How did you go from wherever you are coming from to to CEO? <laughs> yeah, um, I, I sometimes still trip over that title, to be honest. <laughs> um, uh, so um, my journey kind of uh, maybe I'll give you sort of two layers to that, to the, yeah. the, the personal piece of it and then the professional piece of it. So. Um, the personal piece of it in links to kind of why this kind of work, right? Why, why am I draw Why was I drawn to this kind of work? And then the, the professional is more just the journey in. Um, and so the personal piece of it, you know, I wasn't really a kid who, um, knew what I wanted to do early or had kind of a really evident talent that, you know, told me what I was going to do. Um, so, you know, if you asked me at eight, I wanted to be a firefighter or at 10, I wanted to be a vet at 12, maybe the secretary general of the UN, you know, <laughs> you know, no need to not be ambitious. Um, but, yeah. but, uh, but I, but the one thing that was always um, kind of a thread for me was um I, I was always super curious and interested in people. Mm. Um, and most specifically, people uh, and, and their reaction. So two things. One, um, what I call the why of people. So how come you are the way you are? Or how come you think the way you think, right? Um, and, then, and then layered onto that was this um, curiosity around the fact that I always observed that when people were faced with something that they thought of as being different mm. or other, um, there was almost always a lean out. There was, you know, it's always, uh, you always observed fear or suspicion or, or kind of um, a disengagement, you know, and I, I always found that fascinating. And, and maybe it's because I, I, spent time being that the different one you know in, in different spaces because of, of, of right, where yeah. and how I grew up um yeah, yeah exactly and so um and and I've had you know the opportunity to kind of live and work and learn um in a variety of countries across a variety of continents um so I've played that role um and I and I've had the conversation so many times with people where, you know, the sentiment that's expressed is the reason people feel they can have an engagement with me in that moment is because they don't think of me as different. You know, literally there's yeah. words being used. Do you know what I mean? You know, I, I, that's happened to me as well. And uh, I know it was well-intentioned. And right. I really think that this was more of a function of not having the right language. But one of my friends said to me while growing up, and they, they really did mean to just be relational with me. They were yeah. saying like, Rico, you know what? I forget that you're not white sometimes. It's like, totally. wow, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> yeah. Totally, totally. Yeah, exactly. And the first time someone says that to you, it, it's what you say where um, you're not sure why you're having a reaction or what yeah. your reaction should be. Um, but I remember a really seminal conversation and, and recognizing that I was having a reaction and then wanting to unpack that for myself, right? Mm -hmm. Thinking about why and, and what would I rather have heard? Um, yeah. and, I, and then fast forward, you know, many years as a mother and um, uh, my young kid who's biracial um, and generally sort of very delighted to, the, to travel and go places and very attached to um, the notion that she's half Indian. Um, yeah. 
and uh, we traveled, you know, we, we usually, pandemic notwithstanding, we usually travel every year to visit family and she loves doing that. And um, we came back from one of those trips and uh, she had collected over the period of the trip, you know, different things, trinkets and toys and, you know, gifts and what have you. And, and she was packing them into her school bag to go to kindergarten. And I said, um, you know, Baba, this is great. Off you go. Your friends will be so pleased to see all this fun stuff that you're bringing to show them. And she stopped and she gasped and she said, I'm not going to show my friends. Oh. And I said, hang on, who are you going to show? She said, my teacher. And I said, well, why wouldn't you show your friends? And she said, because then they'll think I'm different. Whoa, my God. Yeah. Wow. And, and to me, that's really, you know, so intrinsically linked to Sulia and the work that we do. Um, and so my kind of professional journey was a little, you know, I, <laughs> meandering. Um, I started off after college and, and kind of trained as an ESL teacher. And then oh, same. Um, I know we have that in <laughs> common. Um, and then I um, th this kind of interest in people that I talked about um, academically speaking, I think it translates in or it translated in my mind to an interest in psychology. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I pursued um, in grad school. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, so I, I just want to break in for a second, yeah. because I also started uh, the journey that led me here as an ESL teacher, because I was really finding that more than language, I was helping people think through issues because they were learning the language as yeah. a as a means of achieving their goals. Right. right. So there is that cultural navigation piece. And then the more that I delved into it is like, oh, what I'm actually interested in is figuring out how to help people move beyond their stuff and to become better people. And in the process, I get to become better as well. Exactly. So the journeys, right? Yeah. And it's the, it's the mutual piece of that that you mentioned. That's what's mm -hmm. so amazing about it. Um, so, so yeah, so psychology led me to working in schools, in high schools specifically, um, which was really interesting. And I was in public uh, uh, education systems in Massachusetts. Um, but the itch for something uh, where I was able to work in an international sphere or, or, a, or a more broadly cross-cultural sphere was, was still there. Mm -hmm. So I went back to grad school um, and it was when I was there that I met the founders of Sulia right as they were creating it. Wow. And, uh, and I just was so compelled by what they were telling me they wanted to do. You know, this idea that um, if you can ensure that people who wouldn't otherwise have the chance to or choose to um, get to meet and have a meaningful experience of engaging with one another, um, yeah. then you can create the possibility that people are much less inclined to dehumanize one another, mm -hmm. are much more inclined to think of difference as a quality rather than something to be afraid of. And that was connected to my core, you know? And, yeah. and um, so uh, when, when I heard about them, I said, I'll volunteer, I'll do whatever, whatever, whatever you want. <laughs> and so, um, so I did, I trained as a facilitator and, uh, and then I did that while I, you know, finished graduate school and then I got a day job um, in what would be seen as more kind of traditional development work, you know, conflict mm -hmm. resolution work, um, which I loved, but um, I used to joke with my partner all the time, you know, ideally, I just get to work with Celia. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, and then in, uh, I guess in 2007, um, they were hiring for a program manager position and I threw my hat in the ring and, and here I am. <laughs> so because we are both facilitators, mediators and conflict resolution people, now's the time when I summarize and reflect back to you. So what you're saying to me, Wadehi, is that dreams do come true? Is that what I'm hearing? That's right. <laughs> if you find a place, you hold on and eventually they'll hand you the key. <laughs> No, but that's a really fantastic journey. And uh, thank you for sharing that with us. One thing that I would love to return to, if it's all right, and I don't want to dip into the theoretical too much here, but that story that you told about your daughter, that's so, there's so much in that. And one of the things that 
conflict resolution practitioners learn about is that, uh, and this is one of the foundations of our field, is that even the way that the human brain has evolved, even the suggestion of difference exactly. is enough to what we call other people, which means, mm -hmm. you know, it's another way of saying dehumanize people. It is shocking how quickly that happens. And if it happened for a little girl who was going into kindergarten, I, I, I think that that really just underscores the point. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it tells us that there's a lot of work to do because yeah. the thing is, if, if, because even the, as you say, even the very suggestion of difference causes that lean out, as I said, yeah. um, what, you know, the, the script that we function on right now as, as humanity is that that is the, the exact thing that gets manipulated. Yes. Right? So yeah. our fear of difference gets manipulated and that manipulation means that you can so easily entrench silos and, you know, put people apart and, and biases and stereotypes and so on. And, and with that, you perpetuate conflict. Right. But, but if you can make it that you have a whole generation of people who, when they view difference, they think of it as, okay, I, I feel like I want to engage with this and I know how to. And mm -hmm. that could be a difficult conversation. It could be, you know, curiosity about something you know nothing about. Um, but to, to, to make that decision to do the journey, right? Yeah. So we, call, we say that a lot at Solia, this idea of what does it really mean to bring people together in dialogue? What does that mean? What does it Great mean question. to excavate difference, right? And, mm -hmm. and one of our core principles is the hope in our dialogue groups, as you will have you know, experienced yourself through our facilitation model, is you're trying not to create an environment where everybody tries to find that one common thread that they can hold hands around. You right, know, right. What you're actually trying to do is making it okay for people to ask hard questions, to, to say things, you know, to say, well, my grandmother always told me X, yeah. Y, Z, you know, yeah. and, then, and then to have someone bring that back and say, oh, so that's why you believe what you do, you know, and, and here, right. let me tell you what my grandma told, you know, and there is so much power in that journey. And there's such a commitment there. Uh, you know, the commitment is I'm going to explore my why. And then as part of dialogue, the, the, the big thing that you do is listen. Right. And so I'm gonna, thing, right? Yeah, and I'm going to listen to your journey and then we're going to do something about it together. You but know? also, we're listening to ourselves. We're building the capacity to listen to ourselves. You know? And uh, I think it's worth making it very obvious that we are not talking about good people do this and bad people uh -huh. do that. It's not about right and wrong. It's about being human mm -hmm. and understanding in much greater depth what that means and how we can relate to each other. Exactly, exactly. It, that's the thing with, with the dialogue and, and the spaces that we want to provide um, are very much not a binary, right? So if you hold what someone else deems a radical belief, th these should be the spaces where you can explore those. But what we've learned over and over again is when you are doing that exploration and thinking about the why, when now when you hear my belief you don't just hear it as a statement you hear it as a journey you hear the story behind it right yeah. and while i'm exploring that while i'm exploring well i believe this because my grandma always said right or whatever it is i don't mean to like blame grandmothers here but i'm just saying like or what you what you watch on the news or what you read in the media you know whatever it is as you unpack that that's mm -hmm. when you see where the, the holes are. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. Wait a minute, hang on. What if I pressure test this a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and it's, again, not about someone winning or losing. This is 100% not zero sum, you know? Yeah. Um, this is about uh, creating more opportunity, right. uh, understanding the, the wide variety of options that are available for us to think and believe and, you know, hold yeah. on to. 
You know, uh, one really powerful experience for me as a facilitator and for my COFAC, co-facilitator uh, as well, we had a, a gentleman who was uh, a student, but a little bit older, and he described himself very much, his words, not mine, as a redneck um, kind of, he was putting forth that he thinks about things a certain way and believes things are a certain way. Mm -hmm. and at the very beginning his his body language was always like this mm -hmm. and by the end of it he was getting really curious and he was just always chatting with people and you could see his curiosity had been ignited and the more that he just talked to the other people mostly from Morocco at that point uh he started to find all these confluences all these things mm -hmm. that they actually had in common and mm -hmm. it was it was incredible, you know, like uh, I, I don't think it would serve uh, the connect program well to necessarily record these things and stream them or whatever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, there's the point I'm trying to get at is this program has been going on for 17 years. And there are so, so many experiences that I think, you know, I wish that people would share them more often because they are very powerful. Yeah. Uh, so uh, one question that I do want to get to is. Um, yeah. Well, you've been doing this for a while. So what are some things that you've learned in the course of your involvement with Solia? Because uh, it, it can't be the same program as it was when you started, right? Right, right, very much so. Um, so when it first started, um, the kind of regions that the founders were interested in um, or the relationship that they felt they were trying to, you know, uh, tackle, if you like, was the one between the United States and the Middle East and North Africa, so the, uh, roughly the Arab region, if you like. Um, sure. But quite quickly, as we started doing this work, um, it became apparent that the kinds of skills and, you know, shifts that we were seeing in young people who were, who were uh, taking part in the dialogue program um, were relevant really to all youth everywhere. I mean, it was really relevant across so many lines of difference, across so many, you know, geographies, communities, etc. Um, so we, you know, we expanded our geographic footprint, we played with the model endlessly. So, you know, how many weeks and, and for how long and, and how structured and how not structured and do we do it thematically and, and do we not? Um, and a lot of what we did was listen yeah. to the participants, to the partners, to understand the relevance you know the framing all that kind of thing um and so yeah i would definitely say we've evolved the model um but i you know the organization was really built on some very core principles and values around respect around uh uh you know um diversity mm -hmm. around the notion of uh it, kind of excellence of experience so when when you're when you're trying to run or grow a not for profit, there's often a lot of emphasis on well, how big can you get? Oh sure, you know. Well, I mean, but as you mentioned several times, Solia is global, right? And just to okay. give people a sense of what that means, uh, maybe we can show the the map that you've provided. Yeah. Um, and sure. Yeah. So, so like when we're talking global, like that's the globe <laughs> yeah that's that's not that's not bad when you think global yeah um so the bright orange uh, are the places where the participants for the connect program come from um and uh the two combined um are the reach of the facilitation training program um so yeah and and so there there can be a pressure to 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 talk about well how many are you reaching you know uh, and and get bigger um but one of the things that the team has always been committed to is the quality of each person's experience. And that's mm -hmm. really important because you're committing to everybody's journey, right? If you're yeah. saying everybody needs to take this journey, then you have to make sure that each person gets as good a journey as they possibly can out of it, um, mm -hmm. as powerful, good may be the wrong word. Um, so yeah, so we've definitely committed to that. Um, in terms of kind of what we've learned, there, there are some pretty predictable things. Um, so one thing is technology is always going to give you a run for your money. Uh, it's never going to be 100% easy with, with using technology. Um, but uh, 
on the flip side of that is that to, it somehow technology provides an added element of bravery. Mm -hmm. So, yes. you know what I mean? Like I can say, I, I'm, I'm going to be a little braver in what I dare to say to you because I can't actually touch you, um, yeah. which is interesting. Um, and the fact that the same group of young people meets over a period of time means that you know you're going through a process you're going through the process of getting to know each other respecting engaging getting braver with each other um so the, those things are given the other thing that's a given is particularly when you're doing it as international work um anytime something happens in the world um it's going to get discussed yeah. because there's someone from somewhere who's living that experience you know yeah. and in that sense the pandemic's been really interesting because, oh i can only imagine yeah so you've got you know four thousand young people going through dialogue right as every single one of them has been told to stay home yeah yeah which i mean is, at, which at is the time in their lives when they're at their maybe most sociable right exactly that's really yeah i i really uh, i'm a little embarrassed i didn't even really think about that but yeah. <laughs> yeah and and you know obviously the past few months have um also um shed light on challenges so mm -hmm. inequity in terms of access to internet um you know how do uh as higher education went into a bit of a tailspin in terms of how people are going to conduct their semesters and and all that kind of thing um but the because so okay so what's happened now is you know everybody's doing everything online um, yeah but i think that what people will now understand is doing things online that that create actual interactive engagement that create this sort of space for journey is not easy and it's it, really you know, <laughs> yeah, and you have to be really deliberate and you have to design it really well. And the facilitators, so I mean, they are the key to this. Absolutely. Um, I, it does strike me, though. And, uh, you know, I'm a little bit rusty here, but uh, <laughs> there is that that strong core of principles. Right. That yeah. I think really serves the, the mission. And again, this is uh, the one that's really stuck with me is. Um, like making sure that there is constructive engagement, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and I'm forgetting the other two, but I think there's a slide for that as well, right? Um, it's constructive engagement. Uh, oh, it's about dealing with emotions on in an online space and yeah. um, creating empathy. Yes, yeah. So I think you're right. Um, one thing that may be interesting for people who are involved in the facilitation world is, um, one thing that technology does allow us to do is we can do private chats in right. real time, especially if you have a really good co-facilitator. And from my own experience, uh, sometimes there's somebody who you can tell really wants to say something, mm -hmm. but if it was in an actual physical space, you might not be able to send them a private chat just mm -hmm. to let them know like, hey, I'm Go supporting you, yeah. if you you need it, you know? and honestly that just that that little bit can change the entire experience for somebody like mm -hmm. I've, I've had somebody in my group go from saying nothing to saying a couple things to being a person where i had to be like okay and, and now we need Let's to make give a someone else the chance <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, you know that to me is is about um the arc that we've kind of created you know the the pedagogy behind what we do um you accept that that this journeying takes time yeah and and you accept that um the only way people will really commit to this journey is if they feel that they own it mm -hmm. and and that's why one of the principles of the facilitation is creating um ownership and yes. autonomy for the group right and then the other principle that we hold very dear is this idea of multipartiality Mm. So um, a lot of people think of when they think facilitators, mediators, dialogue, the word neutrality kind of pops out. So yep. what is the difference between neutrality and multipartiality? Yeah, um, I wish that um, either my colleagues, Rafael or Katia, were here because they would do this much better than me. But, um, but yeah, so look, 
I mean, in my in my opinion, as a human being, um, it, you can't really be neutral. There, it's very difficult to do that. Um, I don't know how to be neutral. Yeah, exactly. It's very hard. And so, what we talk about is um, multipartiality, which means that you, as a facilitator, are there to enable all voices to come to the table. And so that's about, you know, watching the pulse of the space, ensuring that, you know, people who may be presenting more provocative ideas are able to do so, um, reminding people about the ground rules, you know, ensuring that people are, are feeling that, that sense of ownership. Um, but it goes back to what we were talking about, which is this is not good and bad. Right. This is not a binary, right? This is about all opportunities and options and so that means all voices um so that's how we kind of lean into that multi-partiality thing now it does become tricky because um what when when you're setting those ground rules you're also setting your red lines right? mm. because there are certain things where it, it's not about neutrality or multi-partiality it's some things are a red line you know um and as a facilitator that can be a bit hard how, how do you how do you manage that red line? Um, and that's why we really push on the co-creation of those ground rules and, and, and um, you know, kind of, kind of collaborative commitment to the process of the dialogue, because yeah. then um, you can call on that. You can be that's like, true. wait, hang on. Remember our own ground rule, you know, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So uh, maybe we can uh, make this really clear for people. But when we're talking about red lines, like we can't give examples from participants, but uh, like, what would be an example of a red line? Well, if I, you know, if I made a statement that was clearly um, a kind of an attack singular to one person, if I was uh, suggesting violence, if I was using language that is, you know, understood as violent and transgressionary language, um, those are the moments where those red lines have to get pulled, right? Um, yeah. And so it's what's interesting about the work, um, the way we model the programs is that as a facilitator, and, you, and you, you could speak to this for sure, but you guys do the journey too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. the whole point of the training is that doing, you know, understanding your own biases, stereotypes, triggers, because in order to maintain multipartiality, you've really got to have tapped into what what's going to trigger me. What are my moments going to be? You know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember we were told explicitly to have those conversations with our our co-facilitators. Mm -hmm. And I do very much remember feeling very nervous about it, actually, uh, yeah. because. No, my my co-facilitator, wonderful, wonderful woman named uh, Anka Gliga, who uh, is originally from Turkey. Um, I just knew from my ESL experience that there were going to be cultural differences, and I just didn't know how she was going to receive that. But um, as we were kind of building our capacity to depend on one another, all of that just became a lot easier for us to handle between each other and for our group. Uh, of course, I should make sure to mention that uh, we were facilitating, again, uh, students who are from Muslim majority nations and mostly those who are from the US. And, um, I think that's an important space, particularly given recent history. But um, you know, there might be people who are wondering right now. And I think we got a comment actually about that, asking us like how the Connect program or the facilitation program, having dialogues in general, might be useful for uh, say dynamics that we're seeing occur in real time in 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um it's an interesting kind of question and it's one we grappled with a lot as an organization, you know, again, going back to the idea that you're small, you, you know, there's only so much you can do as an organization. So we, we put our stakes in the ground around the demographics that we were going to be working with. And so one of them is, you know, the participants in the dialogue program are 18 plus yeah. um, and the facilitation training is much broader. I mean, that's, you know, any individual, any place, anywhere, um, and but then with our internet, right? me with internet, with internet, because <laughs> it all happens online. Um, and uh, 
with, uh, oh, in terms of our geographies. So, you know, we've got the United States and Canada, Europe, the Middle East and North Africa, and then we've got South and Southeast Asia. Um, and we, we kind of made a commitment that this is, this is kind of who we are. And this is the, these are the, you know, realms that we're going to, that we're going to be sticking to. Um, but the applicability of, of a dialogue process is limitless, right? And then if you, if you tap into the fact that there's technology added in, um, hopefully all, all the more. Um, yes. So we had a question from Caitlin about, um, about what's called cancel culture. So yeah. to uh, unpack that a little bit, cancel culture is, um, I don't know, I don't know how I'd exactly explain it, but it's like when somebody does something deemed wrong by the quote-unquote woke crowd yep. um, then there's great demand or pressure through social media usually for that person who is the the target of the canceling right, just right. to be like completely destroyed or obliterated have whatever possible taken away from them yeah so the question is really getting at how is this uh cancel culture or the culture of wokeness uh impacting the group processes because there are well, American college students who belong to this kind of woke culture that are participating in the Solia Connect program, correct? Yes, absolutely. So it definitely plays out within the international realm as well. We've always seen that kind of concentric circles where, you know, um, kids from different parts of the same country are having exposure to one another for the very first time. Oh, wow. You know, and, and this happens across the world. Um, but more than that, I would say, um, and it goes back to the previous question, which is how does this play out in the current context here? Yeah. And so having, you know, decided that this was our demographic, um, we were approached by a partner who'd been um, uh, embedding the Connect program in curriculum on their campus here in the United States um, mm -hmm. and, and uh, you know, had seen very successful results from the program um, and came to us and said, you know, the thing that we're actually struggling with is social cohesion on our campus. Ah. Um, you know, here within the current context uh, of, of, of the United States. Um, and it's, it goes to exactly what you talk about in terms of the, the notion of cancel culture versus wokeness and, and, you know, all of that, all of what that entails. Um, and so together we started to design a domestic dialogue program, which we launched this past summer. Um, it's called First Year Connect. And the idea is that when um, what we learned was when students were being accepted or had confirmed that they were going to attend a certain university or school or college here in the United States, what was happening was they would go onto social media and organically they would seek each other out. But yep. they would seek each other out along very um, kind of uh, predictable tribe lines, right? The athletes would seek out the athletes, the first, the first, and so on and so forth. Um, and so we thought, well, what we've learned through the Connect program is if you're bringing together people who wouldn't otherwise choose to, or otherwise um, have the opportunity to meet, uh, that's where the magic happens. You know, that's where you're truly creating um, space for journey and learning. Um, and so we talked to the campus about what would it mean to create those groups um, across those expected lines of, of tribe um, such that when the students come to campus or when they become a community officially in the fall, um, they have met someone who they wouldn't necessarily gravitate towards, you know? Yep. Um, and we feel very strongly that tribes are important, they're inevitable, and that people will still get to campus and hang out with those who they would want to hang out with. But what if we could create those walls to be a little less impenetrable, right? And so when something happens, um, someone from the athletic department, you know, let's say there's some kind of frat car, right? A musician and an athlete just making yeah. it up. But what if, um, hopefully, if First Year Connect has done its job, then the someone from one camp will say actually I met this guy during first year connect maybe we should talk to him before we you know jump on a bandwagon yeah throw a rock whatever it is um and so so yeah we 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 piloted this summer now I transparently I will say 
um, the program wasn't designed to be um, a specifically race dialogue. Um, But, you know, it's 2020 and we were piloting post the murder of George Floyd. Um, And so we became very aware that, in fact, you know, when you talk about social cohesion on a campus, when you talk about things like cancel culture and wokeness, um, really the, the, the core element of this right now for us here um, is going to be race. Um, so it, it does also sound like the design of the First Year Connect program is trying to mitigate what, you know, sometimes people call echo chambers. And not just like online echo chambers, but social echo chambers, which let's be let's be real; those also do exist. Um, Very much so. Yeah. I think, so I think you know when when social media came about mm. and when people were kind of thinking about what this could do, there was an assumption that if you could provide a way for people to connect to each other, that they would choose to. Oh, the if you build it, they will come model. Right, exactly. And and I think it goes back to the two things we talked about, which is this notion of fear and how it gets manipulated. Um, and then you add that to the fact that in a social media space, there's still a level of anonymity. Right? I can get a, or, or like a comment section of, of anything <laughs> at this point. Um, and, and people just feel emboldened. Yeah. And and they have absolutely stripped whoever they're talking to of their humanity. There is no there is no connection being made there. And so our learning was: can technology be used to to truly create human connection? Yes, but it, it has to be super deliberate, super intentional, um, and it's not. It takes work. It's hard. Yeah. Well, so part of that super deliberate, super intentional thing that I don't think we've touched on yet is that Salia actually does, a, it really tries to uh, make the point that media literacy is an important thing, yeah. right? Um, we mentioned earlier that often things that happen in the news get talked about in the course of Solia. Mm-hmm. Right. So, uh, well, of course, we are again in 2020 and we are seeing that uh, media literacy wholesale is like not really well developed across our country. So maybe we can talk about the the skills that uh, Solia helps to helps both facilitators and uh, participants to develop. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we live in an odd time, right, where, um, you know, back in the day now i sound like my grandma um but you know there you know there was a time not that. back in the day yeah totally no she <laughs> never would um there, there was a time when if you if in order to um make news happen you know the, it was quite a process you had to you know that had to be print or a camera that was manned by someone else or, or whatever it is you know um but we live in a time when anyone can author anything and make it globally available instantly right instantly right and so the kind of the onus on each of us to be responsible creators and consumers of content has never been more prevalent right Mm -hmm. and and again going back to this whole kernel of manipulation it's also the thing that's so, so easy to manipulate. And so, yes, as part of the Connect program, we also have this conversation. Um, we, the students who go through the program will sometimes also do joint projects. These projects change. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, one of the ones that we've done in the past is to uh, provide footage, the same footage to everybody, and then to give you like a storyline um, and for you to create something and the exploration is bias right it you know how do you word it how what music do you use what happens next what story are you trying to tell um and i've never seen more aha moments to be honest where people you know when they share back what they created um how much they recognize uh their their biases and and what they're trying to you know have the viewer think um so, so yeah, and, and I think also 
media literacy for sure, but also responsible citizenship in the digital space. So mm-hmm. one of the things that participants and facilitators are learning to do is this notion of, of um, discourse, right? And how you have this uh, 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 kind of discourse dialogue, uh, how you keep it effective and efficient and um, uh, uh, positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and But what we're hoping and we're learning is that that should also then translate into how you engage in the flat digital space. So in, in the social media space, the asynchronous space, right? Let's let's keep those principles of engagement um, alive. So just so we can make this very, very, very clear for everybody. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of things. So one dialogue that we're talking about, this is not just a, just a conversation, right? right. Uh, Clearly, there's facilitators involved, but what exactly are the goals of facilitation? And, you know, there's uh, people that know a little bit about dialogue might be saying right now, like, well, but dialogue is not action. So how do we go from dialogue to to doing something? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are really, really good questions and ones that we've asked ourselves (laughs) endlessly. Um, And so, yeah, so the what we... Uh, the goal of the the goals of the program are kind of multi-layered so we want to be able to create an environment that allows people to build empathy mm-hmm. because if you can build empathy if you can create this lens through which you then intentionally practice right so this lens through which you then choose to make your decisions, your choices, how you engage with people. I think empathy gets a bad rap as like, well, you know, it's like a tree huggy yeah. concept that right. you know like you can throw out. And something. Yeah. And, and we think quite the opposite. We think it's quite hard, actually. And, and if we are going to do it, we have to actively commit to doing that. And so, and this journey that we talked about earlier, this like, you know, my why, your why, that's all practicing empathy, right? Um, And then the other piece of it is is critical thinking. And and that ties into the the media stuff we were talking about. That ties into, again, the exploration of why do I think what I think? Why do you think what you think, you know? Um, So so to build empathy, um, to build critical thinking skills, um, and then some of the other skills that, you know, even pre-pandemic, we believed were kind of essential hard skills um, for, the, for the future, which is communication across lines of difference, using technology, um, taking leadership in a, in a process, right? Um, and so the, the dialogue element of it, I think that, again, dialogue also gets uh, a bad rap where people are like, well, you're just having a conversation. Right. Um, you know, but Talk I, is cheap kind of thing. Yeah. And what does it do in the end? Yeah. Right. And so this is where I, I get a little kind of um, philosophical about it, where I say, OK, here's here's the way I think of it. Um, so these are much more than conversations. These are these are committed um, experiences. Right. That you're having and your commitment is to that notion of um let's not make difference something that we either sweep under the rug or pretend doesn't exist. Um, you know, let's instead think about it as an opportunity mm-hmm. and think about the, the full potential of what it means to engage constructively with difference, right? Um, you know, if we can do that, I feel like then you go to a place where, okay, what if all people did that? What mm. if everybody committed to thinking about things through a lens of empathy? And that doesn't mean just being nice to each other. Not at all. That, you yeah. know, it, it's hard to be making decisions through a lens of empathy. But what if we all did that? Then, then can't you extrapolate and say, well, what's a system? Why, why is the world so broken? Because systemic, you name it, has occurred and has been entrenched for millennia, right? Yeah. But yeah. what is a system? A system is just a bunch of people. Yeah, basically. Right? Who did it? Who created it? And who's perpetuating it? It's a person. Yeah. So if you can sow this into all people, then surely, surely, eventually, we change the system. And just to ground this in an example, um, 
before the show, I was sharing that a friend of mine uh, had come out to me very recently as gender fluid. And I mentioned that I had uh, really, I'd had a feeling like a, an emotional reaction to that. And I didn't really understand it or take the time to think about it until later. And this gets to the point about practicing empathy, empathy being difficult. It would have been very easy for me to dismiss what my friend had said mm -hmm. or to avoid it because I was uncomfortable with it. Mm -hmm. But because, you know, I've been working at empathy and engaging in dialogue and all of these things for, for years now, uh, you know, I was able to kind of identify for myself, oh, the reason I'm feeling uncomfortable is because I'm realizing I have to change my behavior. Mm -hmm. And then I had to analyze that. And ultimately, I had to come to the conclusion like, yeah, that would be pretty messed up of me if this is actually my friend to walk around carrying that in my relationship with them. And right. so, you know, fortunately, I've been able to build up my skills enough that I was able to identify it and then say, okay, I've identified that this is not a great thing. This is going over here into the, uh, well, you can't see, there's a garbage can over here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think, uh, I'll, there are a lot of things that people assume that they are good at or that they know, but the great thing about dialogue is it actually creates the space for you to hit pause for a second and process things. Very much so. Obvious. Very much so. And I think that, um, you know, more, so many times we'll get told, um, particularly if you think about the facilitation training, because um, it's often, you know, people who are already in careers or at, at graduate school or something like that. Um, and we get told over and over again, people who, who say, well, I've been doing this for a really long time. I didn't think I had anything more to learn, you know, and yet somehow you go through this training program and everyone comes out the other end saying, wait, <laughs> I learned, you know, which is, which is excellent. Um, and the, and the thing with, uh, to go back to your, your point about empathy, which I think is, so the way I talk about it is, um, you know, let's say you stub your toe mm -hmm. and then, and then later in the day, you see someone who's wearing like one of those boots, you know, that, that tells you that their foot hurts. Um, and it's really easy in that moment to think, ooh, I feel your pain. Like I feel instant empathy for you, right? Mm -hmm. What's much harder is when you're trying to think through someone else's situation who is, again, it's the D word, who is in your mind different to you yeah. in one way or the other. And, and for some reason in your mind, in whatever way that you're different is an affront to you. Is yes. a problem, right? It violates some kind of expectation or something. Something. This is not, you know, to, to simplify it to down to its, you know, b bottom line. It's like, oh, here's a person who I don't really like very much. Yeah. But but they are going through something that I'm watching them go through. Now, activating your lens of empathy in that moment is way harder, and that's what I think we all need to be able to do. I mean, I'm so encouraged because I love the idea that the first year connect begins before students actually go to university. Mm -hmm. For those of us who have gone through the American uh, university and college system, there is a huge gap between high school and that first year. And a common complaint of university instructors is that the students simply aren't ready. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I am encouraged. Um, we'd also get a, an, a question about, well, it was more of a statement. It was like, uh, would love to see this program expand into South America. Uh, I know there's plans for, oh, I'm sorry, Latin America. Yeah. Um, so there uh, are plans to uh, expand the domestic program as well right now, but uh, I don't know, are there future plans for expansion on the horizon? Um, yeah, uh, so, you know, this is this is a question we get all the time, and, and um, uh, Joe, who, who asked the question, hi Joe, um, I, uh, I, I really appreciate that, I really appreciate the fact that people um, from our community, because the community is so global, um, often come to us and say, you know, why can't we expand to XYZ geography? And the and the the reason behind it actually is a bit boring, which is just capacity. You know, like I said to you, we recognize its applicability a hundred percent. It's more just uh, 
can we can we do it ourselves at the size that we are? Not yet. Um, and so do we rule out the whole global thing, you know, down the line? No. Um, but we've just, you know, put a pin in the ground to say in the next five years, we'll maintain our footprint. But what we have done is opened up kind of a partnerships arm mm. to what we do. So if you're an organization or an individual who wishes to do work that it's similar to what we're doing, what we're doing, or, you know, if you would like to um, figure out how to get people to facilitate a dialogue program that you're wanting to do or anything like that, um, we are very, very open to, to having conversations. So, you know, we've had partners where we've done dialogue between um, indigenous and uh, uh, non-indigenous youth in Canada. We've done dialogue between journalists in Kazakhstan with journalists in the US. Um, and so just to give you a couple of examples, but my point being that um, in partnership with others, we are really willing to, to go to different places. <laughs> um, it's just that we, uh, in our core programming isn't, isn't going to be ready to expand too much um, over the next couple of years. So we are running a little short on time here. Uh, yep. The last question I would like to ask you, kind of a two-parter, is one, uh, what ultimately would you as the CEO of Solia love to be the product of Solia's work? And then the second part of that question is, if people want to get involved, how can they get involved? Good questions, both. Um, so, so in some ways, I've kind of preempted this, and I've already, I've already spoken to this a little bit. I think if we can get to a place where um, the the I, the notion of having this engagement across line of difference and the and the byproduct of that or the outcome of that, which is um, people learning to lean in to difference, um, if we can make sure that that is the norm mm. everywhere um you know where young people as they step off into the world of their own um are getting the possibility to be equipped to not just feel a sense of civic responsibility this also goes back to that activation thing right a, a whole whole big element of, of what we do is that at the end of the the program, the hope is that young people are coming out saying, hang on, I play a role in this and I know how to play a role in this. If we can do those, the responsibility and the capability thing, um, and we can make it the norm, then then I'll retire. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's great. Uh, well, uh, I think the last thought that I have is this is a really great way to get students really very engaged and that's yeah. something that is so 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 important just uh, as a foundation of our society i will remind people right now that uh we're you know it's voting time so uh, those that are not engaged tend not to vote those that are engaged do tend to vote and that affects everybody so the more engaged that we all are the more that we can actually make decisions together which is you know a great thing absolutely and then but also to say the vote is just one act there's lots of work to be done um so we all need to commit to that and so in terms of getting involved look um we the dialogue programs largely happen through institutional partnerships so if you're um, affiliated to any kind of establishment of learning um tap into us um facilitators that's a wide open field you can be from anywhere and the training happens online in the in the exchange portal um, the cohorts are global so we invite you to you know look up the training on our on our website um, if you think of people who would be interested in supporting this work please share <laughs> um, so yeah there's lots of ways to get involved and support so if there are people out there watching and thinking like, oh, well, I'm not really attached to an institution, would it be okay if they could just like comment here and then we could just forward that information to you or connect somehow? Absolutely. We do have one dialogue program that, that can be done just as an individual. You don't have to be affiliate, affiliated to an institution. Um, so yes, by all means, just get in touch with us. Very cool. Very cool. What's the name of that program? 
Uh, that one is uh, to be called Global Circles. Global Circles. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Well, Wadehi Gokhale, thank you very, very much for your time today. It was an absolute pleasure talking to you. And um, I don't know if you have any final thoughts beyond uh, what you've already said. No, I think I've said enough. But thank you, Rico. <laughs> and um, I, I do encourage people to look us up. All right. Thank you very much, uh, everybody. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And uh, until next time. You've been listening to Intentionally Act Live from our website, intentionallyact.com. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Submit your stories and questions for future episodes by emailing us at info at allacesinc.com. Until next time.